Hey, friends. Good morning. Good morning, online campus. Good to be with you again today. Uh, yeah, Matt, the man bun is back, and we are ready to rock. Uh, so uh, thanks for being here. Ushers, come on down. Let's take the offering. And again, just, uh, you know, whether you're here in the room and we're passing the offering or however you're giving, online, texting, whatever way you're doing it, thanks for giving, for participating in ministry, and uh, for worshiping through your giving. So uh, just God bless you for doing that. Uh, a couple quick Things Well, maybe not quick, but a couple of things before we uh, get into the message today. Number one, again, just need to say it again, corn roast is so close, guys. I can taste the sweet corn already. We are, uh, what is it, six days? Is that how math works, right? Six days away from corn roast. It's this coming Saturday at uh, Chamberlain Farm in Underhill. And those of you who have been there before, you know it's going to be just a blast. Uh, friends, corn, uh, a little bit of chaos and a giant bonfire. I mean, it is just the best. So uh, come, enjoy, invite friends, invite neighbors, invite family, and uh, you guys are going to have a great time. But also, just a, a reminder, we need more, we need volunteers to make this thing happen. We have a few volunteer slots left, and I uh, just encourage you to sign up to volunteer. You can do that on Church Center, or we have a table in the lobby. You can stop, check that out on your way out today. But uh, either way, whether you just come, whether you volunteer, don't miss it. It's going to be just an awesome day. So uh, last week, if you were here, if you were tuned in, you heard me say I had a, a big announcement for you today. Maybe some of you remember that. Just kind of teased the upcoming announcement. Well, I'm announcing it right now. So buckle up. It's, we're, we're here. Here's the announcement. Um, and uh, this is something that I th I'm really excited about. Uh, I think this is something that's going to change and revolutionize how our church family engages with scripture, with learning, with uh, what we call discipleship, whether on your own or in small groups or in Bible studies, online, in person, all those things. Uh, this is something that we Essex Alliance Church have been, uh, are pleased to be able to share with you uh, a free gift. It's uh, called Right Now media. Right now, media. Uh, this is often described as the YouTube of, of Bible studies, of Christian resources, because there are over 25,000 video resources, along with written materials, that are uh, just at your fingertips. For Bible studies, Old Testament, New Testament, you want to know about, uh, you want to learn about marriage and, and how to revolutionize your marriage, make your marriage more godly, parenting, mental health, recovery, uh, there's stuff for teenagers, stuff for kids. I mean, right now media has got it all and we have got it all and you have got it all. This is a, a free resource for you to take advantage of. Uh, so I'm going to encourage you today, tomorrow, over the next week, register, sign up for right now media. It's free, it's easy, and from there you are just going to dive into some awesome, awesome resources. Uh, there's uh, really great uh, and prominent pastors and thinkers and authors who have uh, study materials, uh, really well done videos, and uh, study guides to go along with that thing. If you're thinking, hey, I want to get into the Bible, I'm not quite sure how, Right Now Media might be the way to do it. If you're thinking, hey, I've got a small group, I don't know what to do next, Right Now Media is going to be the way you're going to do that. So sign up. There's a few ways you can sign up. Number one, uh, let me just, those of you watching online, 
graphic on the screen, there's the QR code. Go ahead and scan that with your phone. That'll take you right to the sign-up page. We also have a link in our YouTube description that you can click to sign up. For those in the room, uh, we've got slides in the lobby you can do the QR code with. Uh, you can go on Church Center via the app or via just the internet. We've got a registration page there. You just go in, click the link, sign up. Again, it's free, it's easy, and uh, at your fingertips is gonna be so many awesome resources. So I'm, I'm super excited about this. I've had Right Now Media myself for a few years. My seminary uh, gave me a description for, you know, as an alumni, and I've used it on my own. I've used it for our, my small group that I was leading, and uh, it really is a really great and wonderful resource. Please take advantage of it. There's no limit to how many people that we can have sign up under the Essex Alliance banner. So share it with your friends, share it with your family, sign up yourselves. Uh, it really is awesome. And free. It's free. Did I mention it's free? Sign up. It is. It really is wonderful. They even have an app for your phone. I mean, you can watch it on the, you know, I was going to say on the bus, but you know, we're not in New York City or what, you know, but you can watch it, uh, you know, don't watch it while you're driving, but you know, watch it when you're a passenger in a car, maybe. So right now, media, sign up for that. Um, do it. It's great. It's awesome. All right. So uh, last week, uh, if you were here or if you tuned in online, you know uh, we started in uh, talking about last week and this week about these words from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16. Let's put it on the screen. Apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So we began this discussion last week, and we started talking about uh, a few words, shame being one of them. Paul uses that word here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, that word, shame, fear, guilt, sort of these three words, these three feelings that often stop Christians from fulfilling the mission that God has called us to, that is sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus with other people. Now, I think for most of us who follow Jesus, who consider ourselves Christians, we probably wouldn't, we'd be sitting here saying, yeah, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, totally. I'm not ashamed of it, or uh, else you probably wouldn't believe it, right? You probably just don't go through your life ashamed of the gospel as it is, right? You, of course you're not. Of course you're not ashamed of it. But what about when those opportunities come to talk about it with other people, to share it with someone, to get vulnerable and say, hey, here's what I believe about Jesus, that's when these feelings, maybe a little bit of fear, a little bit of guilt and shame, they, they become a little bit of a problem. These feelings that, that yeah, they kind of creep in at those crucial moments of mission when, uh, when it's time to talk about Jesus with someone. And for many Christians, many of us, it can stop us in our tracks, you know, Paul wrote these words, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And when he wrote them, he meant them. He really wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Again, not just ashamed of it in general, but he wasn't ashamed to talk about it, to preach it, to, uh, to face ridicule, to face rejection and violence. You know, there was something or some things about Paul that enabled him to write these words and to mean them. So last week we began this discussion and we sort of looked into Paul's life and we started looking at four themes from Paul's life that enabled him to uh, confidently say that when it comes to those moments of mission of sharing the gospel, that he is not ashamed. 
So last week we began this. We looked at the first two words, that Paul was passionate and that Paul was transformed by the gospel. Passionate about the gospel, transformed by the gospel. Today we're going to look at the next two themes, themes three and four from, from Paul's life. Uh, so uh, we're going to dive in, but as we do, church, would you just pray with me as we, uh, as we dig in this morning? So God, would you open our ears to hear and our eyes to see? Open our hearts and minds to you and your word. Encourage us, challenge us, and move us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Third theme in Paul's life. He was passionate. He was transformed. And the third theme in Paul's life that enabled him to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, is that Paul was trained. He was trained From the time he was a child, Paul was trained first in the Jewish faith. He was a a young Jewish boy living in a town called Tarsus, kind of on the north coast of the Mediterranean in Turkey. And as a boy, as every young Jewish boy would be, he was trained by his parents and his local synagogue to study the scriptures. He probably spent a lot of time memorizing them, the Old Testament scriptures, um, how to interpret them as well. Uh, as he's older, in, in Acts chapter 22, Paul is kind of like talking about his life as a kid. He tells us there that he left home at a young age to go to the city of Jerusalem, the hub, the center of Jewish life, for a more intense training. And he says there that he studied under a rabbi named Gamaliel. So let's read Acts 22 verse 3, where Paul, he tells us, he says, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia but brought up in this city, Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Now, Gamaliel is largely considered by Jewish and Christian scholars today to be one of, if not the greatest Jewish teacher of the first century in Paul's time. He was a Pharisee, one of the sort of religious elite of the day. He was a rabbi, a teacher. He taught groups of people. And he was one of the Sanhedrin, which is the word for the leadership council of the Jews, which was made up of people from all different kinds of groups. He was part of that group as well. Gamaliel was wise, he was influential, and he was well-respected. Paul, learning the Jewish faith from Gamaliel would be like, get out of here, fly, would be like... (laughs) would be like you learning how to hit a home run from Ted Williams or Mickey Mantle. Right, Red Sox, Yankee, had to put them both in there. (laughs) Or it would be like learning physics from Stephen Hawking or uh, learning how to play piano from Mozart. If you wanted to learn about the Jewish faith and the Old Testament scriptures in the first century, Gamaliel was your guy. He was the guy. You wanted Gamaliel and Paul got him. That was his teacher. He was thoroughly trained by the best. He would have learned all the scriptures, all the customs, all the different interpretations and discussions that had taken place through centuries of Jewish thought up to that point. Gamaliel trained Paul to be a great Jewish thinker, to love God, to love God's law. He knew it all. But all he learned in his training, Paul, had to be reoriented when Jesus encountered Paul later on. Had to be retrained. 
Uh, Last week we started, uh, we read some of Acts chapter 9, and if you remember, this is a story of Paul before he became meets Jesus. He's on his way to a city called Damascus, which is a couple days north of Jerusalem. And he has the authority from the high priest to go to Damascus and arrest the Christians there. He wants to stop the church. He wants to stop this Jesus movement. And of course, Jesus on, while he's on his way, Jesus knocks Paul off his horse, encounters him, makes him go blind. And Paul meets Jesus face to face, the very person that he's been trying to stop. And Acts 9, 19 tells us that Paul goes into Damascus, the city, blind, he's healed, and then in verse 19 it says that he spent several days in Damascus with the disciples, the Christians there. Now it doesn't tell us exactly what Paul was doing in those several days there, but I think it's easy to imagine that Paul, just having this totally life-changing experience of meeting Jesus, is trying to put the pieces together. of Everything he was trained to think as a boy and how Jesus actually fulfilled all those things. And he spent his time there with the Christians and I think asking questions, learning how the pieces fit together from those Christians who had already been through that process who already learned how Jesus fulfilled everything, who he was and what he did. He spent several days in Damascus with the Christians. And then he travels back to Jerusalem and he's there for a little bit. And then the apostles, you know, the head honchos, they send Paul back home to Tarsus, back up to Turkey, uh, to his hometown. And we don't hear from Paul again for a couple chapters. A couple chapters go by. And then one of the church leaders named Barnabas is sent to Tarsus to get Paul. And Paul's going to help Barnabas on his mission to share Jesus with people. He's going to start traveling, start sharing Jesus. Um, now, if you just read the book of Acts, it's, it's really, you can't really tell because it's just a chapter and a half, two chapters. But Barnabas doesn't come to Paul in Tarsus until 10 years after Paul left the first time. Ten years after Paul meets Jesus, is knocked off his horse, he learns to put the pieces together, he spends time with the Christians there, he goes home. Ten years later is when Barnabas comes to him. What was he up to in those ten years? Again, the Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know for sure. But after having such a life-changing, worldview-reorienting experience... I think Paul needed time to continue to put the pieces together. He's back home in Tarsus working, thinking, praying, learning more and more about how Jesus fit with everything that he had learned from the time he was a child. Time of preparation, a time of training to see the world through the lens of Christ and then what to do with that how to not only be a Christian, but how to live the mission that God has called Paul to. And then Barnabas comes and he takes Paul to the city of Antioch and Paul and Barnabas spend a whole year in Antioch telling people about Jesus in that one city. Just one more observation. At that time, Paul was not the leader yet. Barnabas was the leader of that duo. Barnabas invited Paul in to work with him, alongside of him, and learn what it looked like to live on mission in Antioch. 
He was being trained. Now, the beauty of the Christian faith, part of the beauty is that God doesn't intend us to figure this stuff out on our own. He gives us one another. He puts us in this group, this family called the church here, Essex Alliance Church, right? He puts us together so that we can help each other through encouragement, support, correction, and training to put the pieces together of life and faith to follow Jesus well and to live on mission as individuals and as a group. He puts us together so that we can learn from people who have gone through that process before us. God intends for us to train one another in how to follow Jesus and to fulfill the mission he's called us to. So the question I have is, who is training you? Who is training you? Is there someone in your life who's helping you learn and grow as you follow Jesus and figure this stuff out? Who is training you? Let me tell you about the guy I credit for training me. His name's Craig. Now, uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I grew up in a Catholic home. You know, some, that's a little different, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been there too. But grew up in a Catholic home. And uh, I started going to youth group at my friend's church in sixth grade. You know, just Protestant, non-denominational uh, Christian church. Started going to youth group with my friend. He invited me. I said yes. Sixth grade. Seventh grade is when Craig came along. Craig became the youth pastor during my seventh grade year. And that was really good. Craig was a good youth pastor. He was there for us when we needed it. But it wasn't until late in high school, really junior, senior year, that Craig and I started to get close. We had a a student ministry leadership team, and uh, I was a part of that. And Craig invested a little more time with that team to guide us, help us to learn how to lead our peers, and uh, speak into our lives a little more intentionally. So high school comes and goes, and, and during the first little bit of college, I, I kind of stopped caring, became apathetic, you know, unplugged from church, unplugged from faith a little bit. Wouldn't say I, I didn't turn my back, but I just, you know, was just in a weird place. It's going through some stuff, and that was one of the things that kind of fell off. And it was Craig who pulled me back in. You know, I'd, I'd gone away to school and then come back home after a year, working part-time, going to school part-time. And one day, I'm at work, I get off my shift, I look at my phone, and I had a voicemail. And the voicemail was from Craig. And I, uh, it was short and sweet, and uh, I remember it word for word. I will never forget the voicemail from Craig. It was a turning point in my life. His voicemail said, Baumgartner. He said it like that, Baumgartner. It's Craig. Why don't you get off your butt and come help me with these kids? Craig did that he called, he, because he knew I needed someone in this crucial time in my faith and in my life to guide me. And he invited me back in to work alongside of him in the ministry he was running, shoulder to shoulder, to give guidance, to give training, just in life and in faith. Craig taught me in that season what it looked like to be an engaged Christ follower, how to put the pieces of life and faith together, how to navigate those years when your friends are doing this thing and they want you to do that thing, but you're not sure if you should do that thing and how to deal with that. And Craig and I spent a lot of time together uh, inside and outside of church, talking, praying, serving, eating, hanging out. 
He showed me what it meant to be a good husband, a good father, a good friend, challenged me when I needed it, encouraged me when I needed it. And it was in that season, after some time, that I felt the Lord call me to vocational ministry, to be a pastor. And the first person I told about that was Craig. So we talked and prayed, and after a lot of prayer, we invited some of the other pastors and elders from our church in to pray and talk about it. And, and after, you know, a little bit of that, Craig took me on and paid me, not a lot, but he paid me full-time to apprentice with him so he could continue to train me more intentionally in ministry. And without Craig's training, not just in ministry, the practical stuff, but in faith and in life, just being a good friend as I figured that stuff out, I can say confidently, definitively, without Craig, I would not be here today. I would not be uh, one of your pastors today. I credit Craig with his training in my life. Training is a necessary part of our faith process. Training brings confidence, it brings skill, it brings um, uh, perspective and relationship as we kind of figure out how Jesus fits into our lives and how to follow him well in a world where so many things are trying to bring us in other directions. So who, again, is training you? Do you have someone speaking into your life and helping you figure this faith out? It's true, I think we all are trained by someone or something, and that can be a number of different sources. So many voices are trying to capture our attention and pull us in certain directions, influence how we think and how we see the world. Now, I'm engaged in social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I know many of you are as well. And uh, social media is one of those things that's trying to train you. I often find myself, and I know many of us do, just scrolling mindlessly, you know, in those moments you got nothing to do. And you see posts or videos or stories from people. Um, and sometimes it makes me pause and, and think, oh, I want to I be like that. It's training you to think in that way. I also see on social media a lot of stories of people who have left the Christian faith and why you should too. Or arguments from people who are, um, you know, maybe they're atheists or just, uh, you know, anti-religion, anti-Christianity in general. And in these social media space, there's only so much time to make an argument, to make a point. And you see it and you go, whoa, I never, excuse me, never thought about that before. And that can be hard to kind of reconcile sometimes. And I just want to say too that, you know, the Christian faith has been around 2,000 years Anyone on social media who throws out one of those arguments, I mean, that's nothing that the church hasn't seen before and heard before. It's not new. And it helps to have people in your life who have thought about that before, who have processed that before, to help you as you think about and process those same things. Who is training you? Social media, celebrities, certain friends. Who is training you? Paul, because he was well-trained in his faith and in his mission, was able to write with confidence, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I believe that when we receive good training as well, 
from people who have been there before, have gone through the same things we're going through, we have a better chance of defeating the fear, guilt, and shame that want to stop us. So young people, who is training you? Now, it's often up to you to find someone to do that. Burden's on you, unfortunately, a lot of the time. I just encourage you, find someone and ask them, hey, you want to be my mentor? Or, you know, don't even, you don't even have to make it weird, right? You can just say, hey, let's, you want to get a cup of coffee sometime? I got a couple questions. I want to get to know you a little bit. I promise you, it won't be weird that the person you ask will only be flattered and encouraged by the fact that you picked them and, they, and you asked them. So who is training you? On the other side of that is the question, well, who are you training? Who are you training? You know, Paul didn't just get trained, he trained others. People like Timothy and Titus, these guys from the book of Acts and Paul's letters who traveled with Paul and worked with him and learned from him and assisted him, who then became pastors and missionaries themselves. Paul trained them. So let me ask too, who are you training? Who are you raising up? Who in the generation below you are you speaking into their life, regularly meeting with and talking to? I just want to say, you don't have to be an expert. You just got to be willing. Willing to be honest and willing to get together. Who are you training? Who's training you? I think we all need this sort of encouragement and accountability as we figure out life and following Jesus and the faith and mission. And that's why God gave us each other. It's why he gave us the church to be part of, to help train and be trained as we all live and figure this thing out. Paul was trained and he was trained well. Final theme from Paul's life that I want to touch on that helped him not be ashamed is that Paul learned from success and failure. He learned from success and failure. You know, Paul, uh, he had a lot of success in his ministry. He saw conversions and church plants. He saw uh, new leaders grow up and be pastors and missionaries. He he saw miracles and healings takes place and, and so many more things. His ministry directly resulted in a lot of success for the spread of the gospel around the world. Paul also failed. He failed quite a bit. Now, when I say Paul failed, I just want to define this a little bit. I don't, I don't mean Paul did something wrong, necessarily. I, I simply mean he didn't accomplish what his goal was. He didn't accomplish what he hoped to accomplish. We can say that's failure, right? We can define it that way. It doesn't necessarily mean you, you did something wrong. It just means uh, I failed. I didn't do what I hoped to do. Didn't accomplish my goal. If we go to Acts chapter 14, there's a great picture of success and failure in Paul's life right there alongside each other in Acts 14. So this, uh, this chapter of the book of Acts begins with Paul and Barnabas. They're in a town called Iconium, which is in southern Turkey. There's a few other towns in that region, big towns. So they're traveling around, and their goal is to go to, town, to the town, talk about Jesus. People believe, start a church. Raise up church leaders, elders, pastors, move on to the next town, do the same thing, right? That's what their goal is. That's what they're trying to do. So in Acts 14, verse 1, uh, we start the story where it says uh, that there in Iconium, they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. 
But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. And there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and to stone them. So they're in Iconium and they talk about Jesus and they share the gospel and people believe, right? Success, yeah, it's what we hoped would happen. People are believing the message. But at the same time, a lot of the people in the town of Iconium didn't believe, which is gonna happen, right? That's not unexpected. But these people wanted to stop Paul. They want to see him fail rather than succeed. So they stir up the crowds, get everyone all uh, hot and bothered. They want, to, uh, they want to stone Paul. They're going to kill him. They're going to throw rocks at him until he dies. That's their plan. Uh, that wasn't quite the response Paul hoped for in this situation, right? Uh, he doesn't want to die. So uh, Paul and Barnabas, they flee. They flee the city. They leave Iconium before they would have liked. So they come to another town. And there they find a man who can't walk. It says he couldn't walk since birth. And in verse nine, uh, it says that Paul looked directly at him, this man, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Called that a success. What he hoped would happen, happened. Man was healed. But, verse 11... When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gate because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. (laughs) The people of the city thought that Paul and Barnabas were their Roman gods, Come to them, Zeus and uh, and Hermes, they're in human form. And Paul and Barnabas, who are they trying to get them to to see and worship? Jesus. And who do the people want to worship? Paul and Barnabas, right? Uh, I'd call that a a a failure, maybe a failure to communicate well. I don't know what it was, but that wasn't what they hoped. It was a failure. Paul succeeded, Paul failed. He did both. He saw countless people believe in Jesus because the message he preached Great success, and he failed. Paul saw lots of people turn away to reject him, reject the message of Jesus. They started riots, they kicked him out of towns, they arrested him, they tried to stone him and kill him multiple times in his life because he talked about Jesus. You know, success is really great, right? With whatever you do, success is really great. But especially, I think, when you share Jesus with someone and they get it and they say yes. I mean, there's nothing better than that. That's as good as it gets. And success gives you confidence. You get to see the transforming power of the gospel at work. And you, I got to be part of it. I got to watch that happen. And when you see that sort of success, how can you not be excited to to do it again? Success keeps the fear, guilt, and shame away. Failure is a little trickier. You know, when we fail, I think we tend to act in one of two ways, generally. 
when we, uh, when we fail at something. We either want to, uh, when we fail, we either want to try again and try until we succeed. It can motivate us, right? You assess what we're wrong and uh, make changes so that you get it right the next time, right? Failure can drive you to want to do better. Or, <laughs> or failure will make you want to give up and never do it again. Uh, and personally, I've gone both ways in those situations. Because failure, scary, it hurts. It's discouraging. It's not fun. It's not fun. But failure is an opportunity, opportunity to grow. Uh, when I was 22, 23, somewhere in there, I was between my uh, undergraduate and graduate studies. And, and that year, I took a year between uh, that church I grew up in that I talked about um, brought me on for a full-time, year-long uh, kind of, we called it a pastoral apprenticeship, where I was going to be working with several of the pastors, doing some things, different areas of ministry. And my guy, Craig, was one of those, was one of those guys. Uh, second half of that year, our church was launching a uh, capital campaign that we were going to use to launch some new ministries in the area. Uh, it was a big project, a big thing. And they asked me, you know, 22, 23-year-old Matt, uh, to be the administrator for what was a $3.3 million fundraising campaign. Now, just to give you a picture of where I was at at that time, I had finished college, you know, six months earlier. I had learned, just don't judge me too hard, I had learned that year before that you can get a calendar and write down when your assignments are due on it so you know when you have to get your assignments in. You know, that's where I'm at in my life at that point. It's just like, you know, and this is the guy they asked to do this big three-point, you know, administrative thing. So, cool, I'll do it. And, you know, I didn't really have a choice. But it went okay. It went all right. But there's one thing that still plagues me a little bit from that year. One thing that really sticks out. So part of the strategy of uh, raising this money, it was, we tried to do it in like two months, uh, was that our, we were organizing a series of small meetings, typically over a meal, with a small group of people, and our lead pastor was going to come, share the vision, and do that in a more intimate setting so people could ask questions and have more dialogue about it rather than just kind of broadcasting it out and, you know, seeing what happens. So it was intentionally that way. So part of my job was to plan each of those events, you know, plan the food, catering, do we need people to help serve and clean up and do all that. So that was on my plate to, uh, to do. And for one of these meals, we had a guy in our church just volunteered. His name was Doug. Uh, he really wanted to do the cooking. He had done some catering in his, in his life. So I was like, all right, great, Doug, you're on. You know, he didn't want to be paid or anything. And uh, he was on for a breakfast. He was on for a breakfast meeting. And uh, he needed me to get some people to help, you know, clean up, serve, all that stuff. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll try to find some people. So I made a few calls. I, try, I tried, right? Made a few calls, heard a few no's, heard zero yeses. <laughs> and just kind of said, well, I tried, Doug. Of course, I didn't tell him I tried and failed. I didn't clue him into any of that. I was just hoping that the day would come and go and no one would notice. Um, Oh, and uh, during that meeting that Doug was supposed to be on, I was uh, going to be in California at a wedding. So Connecticut, going to be in California, East Coast, West Coast. So that day comes, and it's 4 a.m. in California, and I'm sleeping like a baby on the West Coast. 4 a.m. comes, my phone rings, and uh, wakes me up, and it's Doug. <laughs> Surprise. Hey, Matt, where's my help? Uh, I couldn't get you any help, Doug, Sorry. Well, where are you? Can you come help? 
Uh, no, I'm in Los Angeles. I can't come help. And then I heard the, you know, click. Heard the click. I fail. I failed Doug. I failed him hard. And now Doug handled it all. He was great. He did it. And uh, thankfully, I didn't come home to him waiting for me to murder me at my door. Um, but I failed him. I failed him pretty hard. And you better believe that I learned from that experience. Been very easy to tuck tail and just run. But I, I learned from that experience. And in that instance, you know, as a young guy, sort of starting out in ministry, I, I, I learned and I let that failure teach me that you, you can't leave people hanging. You can't leave volunteers hanging like that. Now, I try, I really do. I try hard not to do that. And I know I still fail sometimes. And maybe some of you here have firsthand experience with that. And I am sorry. I hope you still love me. I'll do better. But I learned from that experience. You know, failure, failure is a great teacher. Failure is a great teacher. And you can find quotes on that from tons of people by Oprah or Steve Harvey, Yoda. Uh, you never go against Yoda, right? Yoda says that it's true. Failure is a great teacher, as long as we're able to see it that way. Failure doesn't have to be our enemy, right? Does failure feel good? No, it doesn't. I know that. But it's not pointless, and we can learn from failure. So bringing this back around to sharing the gospel, which we've been talking about. Say you're sharing the gospel with someone, you're just having a conversation and you let them know, hey, Jesus, right? Tell them. And maybe that's met. It's not met with enthusiasm, with an eye roll, or a, yeah, okay, I get it. Or maybe it's met with some tough questions that you weren't really prepared to answer at that moment. And you kind of feel embarrassed and like, oh, I couldn't answer those questions. You feel like a failure in that moment. I just want to encourage you not to be discouraged because God is also working in you in that process. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, I, we can't think about failure like we would typically think about failure, right? It's not like hitting a baseball where if you swing and miss, you failed, it's black and white, right? It's not like playing your instrument where if you miss a couple notes, you didn't play it right, you failed. It's not like that. When we share Jesus with someone and, and they don't get it or don't care, you didn't fail. You did not fail. It's so much more complex than that, than thinking like if I say the right thing, they'll say yes, or if not, then they'll say no. I actually think if you share Jesus with a person or people, and even if that person doesn't believe, you actually succeeded just by simply sharing. And by taking that step and by sharing, you have defeated the fear and guilt and shame. Now that moment may not have turned out exactly as you hoped, but you did not fail. Maybe the person just wasn't in the right mindset and something happened earlier that day. Maybe, maybe it's one moment in a series of moments that's going to take place in that person's life and God's going to use that. Fear, guilt, and shame want you to see failure as the end of the world. 
that not only did you fail, but you are a failure. But that's not how God wants you to see failure. And if we can reorient our thinking around this and see failing as part of the process that God uses to grow us, then I think, I think that changes things. Because we can be confident in taking risks or being vulnerable and talking about Jesus boldly because failure isn't really failure. It's an opportunity for God to work in me and in the person I'm talking to, no matter what the immediate outcome might be. So maybe you shared your faith with someone and they didn't give their life to Jesus right then and there. Okay, well, what'd you learn? How did you grow in that experience? And how might God use that conversation to continue to work in that person's life? It's not really failure. It's, we'll call it incremental growth, those moments. And God wants to reorient our thinking around success and failure so he can use our failures as an opportunity for us to continue to grow. So uh, as we think about that and growing from failure, uh, what can we do to help our mindset as we, um, you know, as we go for it? I just have three really quick suggestions. First is that you need to fail at what you want to succeed at. You need to be invested in what you want to succeed at. This is how you grow and learn, right? If you fail and then give up and uninvest yourself, you're not going to grow. You're just going to, it's just running and hiding. You know, my son, play, Jack, he, he plays hockey. He's eight years old. Now, Jack, God bless the kid, wants to be a goalie. He's eight years old, wants to be a goalie. Uh, you know what happens a lot to eight-year-olds who want to play goalie in hockey? Uh, they give up a lot of goals. <laughs> They're not that good at it. <laughs> now, Jack, he's okay at it. He's pretty good. Uh, but he's so committed to being a goalie that no matter how many pucks he lets by, he doesn't stop, he doesn't get discouraged because he's invested in becoming a better goalie, right? And I think when we're passionate about Jesus and we want to see lives change, we need to be willing and ready to fail at those moments of sharing Jesus so that we can grow into success. Second, just say fail around people who can pick you back up. Failing alone is pretty miserable. That's probably the least fun way to fail. But failing with a group of people you know and love is a little less miserable. There's encouragement, there's prayer. They can pick you up. And that's part of the reason we have the church is because we need each other. When we take risks, when we share about Jesus, when we face discouragement so that we together can lift each other up in those moments. Uh, and third suggestion is to fail knowing, really knowing, that failure does not define you. You know, when I left Doug hanging, I was so afraid he was going to lose respect for me and not want to work alongside me anymore because he would see me as the guy who, who failed him. You know, I had him scheduled for another one of those meals and I, I just knew, I was like, he's gonna cancel, he's not gonna wanna work with me anymore because I failed him. But that's not what he did. He was understanding and forgiving and he said he was still in 
So that failure didn't define our relationship and it certainly didn't define how and who I was going to be going forward. Just because I failed that time doesn't mean I'm gonna fail the next time and the next time and the next time. You know, it's easy to see yourself as a failure when you fail. And when you see yourself as a failure, fear, guilt, and shame come rushing back in. And that's what Satan wants, to make you think that you are defined by failure. But that is not what God wants. The gospel message that God so loved the world, so loved you that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life, that message of the gospel is precisely that God does not see you as a lost cause or as a failure, but as someone valuable, so valuable that he came to give you a better future, new life now and into eternity through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And by his death and resurrection, you are not defined by your failure. You are not defined by your mistakes. You are not defined by your sin. You are defined by love and hope and joy and purpose in Jesus. And in Jesus, your past is not your future. Who you were and what you've done is not who you are and what you're going to do. And when we fail, even now, God uses those moments to help us learn and grow and walk forward in him and continue to look more like him and who he created us to be. So don't give up. If we can see failure as part of the process, maybe even as an opportunity, I think fear, guilt, and shame, they won't stand a chance. Let's read Romans 1.16 again. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For followers of Jesus, fear, guilt, and shame hold no place in our lives. They are not welcome. The gospel is power, it is truth, it is forgiveness and freedom and joy. Now talking about that with someone else can be an intimidating thing, I know. And that fear, guilt and shame can creep in when we doubt ourselves and our knowledge and our skill and am I gonna say the right thing and is this the right person and are they gonna feel offended by me or am I gonna be offended by their response and all those thoughts that come in, I know been there. You know, we've looked at Paul's life these last two Sundays and just picked out a few themes and helped Paul confidently say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed to talk about it, to preach it, to live it, to die for it, because he was passionate about it. It captured his heart. He was transformed by it, totally reoriented from who he was to who he became. 
He was trained in it, trained well to see and think and had people guide him through the process of figuring it out. And he learned from success and failure as he shared the gospel with others. And I think these themes from Paul's life are some of the themes in our lives and our faith to help us get to that place where we can say, no matter what, that I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to talk about it, to preach it, to live it, to die for it. Final question for you is, which theme do you see God working on in your life? Is God working in one of these four things with you to help you grow? Does God want to increase your passion for him and capture your heart and imagination in a new way? Does God want to show you more of his transforming power to help you see who you were, who you are, and where he wants to bring you? Is God calling you to invest in the life of someone who's growing in their faith? Maybe you have a name or a face in mind, that person you know you've been meaning to call or text. Or maybe God's calling you to find someone to invest in your life. As you're going through some really hard things, you could use some guidance, figure those things out. Or maybe God's showing you that failure isn't actually failure, that you can be brave. We can be bold because God's going to use however that moment turns out to help you grow. So which theme is God working on in your life to help defeat the fear, guilt, and shame that, that really wants to creep in and that God really wants to help you keep away so that you can live the life and the mission that he has called you to? Because God is working in you. I promise you that. He's there. He's working. Let him do his work, recognize it. And I think your faith, your life, your purpose will never be the same again. Stand as we close in prayer. Oh God, thank you that fear, guilt, and shame have no place in our lives. That that is not what you want for us. But God, you want joy and peace and forgiveness and hope and life and purpose. That is what you have given us through Jesus. That by his death and resurrection, Lord, that your life, your hope, your joy has come to us. So God, help us to see that, to grab hold of it, to live into it. And Lord, as we come to those opportunities and to those moments of mission, would those things propel us to share, to share well, and no matter the outcome, to continue that, to grow and to see your work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So Lord, as we go into this Labor Day, into the next week and school and work and projects and whatever's coming, end of summer, beginning of fall, would we be defined not by fear, guilt, and shame, but by joy, peace, hope, purpose, and all those good things that you have for us. So we say we love you, Lord. Thank you that that's what you want for us and what you've given us in Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. God bless you. Great to see you. Corn Roast, right now media, sign up. We'll see you next Saturday at Corn Roast. <laughs>